The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world still employed by the Chicago White Sox. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Just kidding. The White Sox do not pay our salaries. No, they don't. But, you know, Jake, uh, we're still also living off the glory of our younger years. 2005 was a great year for Jake and Jordan. I mean, rolling into fifth grade, feeling good. Uh, full class clown mode, all was well in 2005. And hopefully that legacy will keep us around for uh, the next uh, 18 years. That's the dream one can only hope. Yes, everybody, we will be talking about the Chicago White Sox decision, their stunning decision to relieve general manager Rick Hahn and vice president of everything, Ken Williams, of their duties yesterday. The two had been around Basically, for over two decades, we will get to that. We will talk the Washington Nationals, question mark, question mark, question mark, an update on Wander Franco. The Yankees are going for an L10. Trout is back, and it doesn't matter. And a special guest, Steven Nelson, the broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers, will be joining us to explain how the Dodgers are getting away with it yet again. Yes, but also how they just lost to Noah Syndergaard. On Tuesday night. But for the most part, things are going well in Dodger Town, and we are going to get to all that with Nelly later. But let's begin with the biggest news. As you mentioned, Jake, the White Sox have done it. The fans on the South Side have been crying for this for, I mean, I guess longer than really any other fan base with regards to their front office. And that is, uh, and as we always like to talk about, the term relieving of their duty, and this is not a poop joke, I mean, it's specifically related to this actually might be some level of relief <laughs> for certainly the fans, but even for Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, who I would bet, Jake, that there have been times over the last however many years that they have thought, yeah, I'm getting fired. And yet they have made it all the way to this point. A strange time to finally be told, sorry, that's enough. Uh, after they conducted yet another draft, after they conducted a massive franchise-altering trade deadline. But for whatever reason, Cal Raleigh's two home runs on Monday night and Josh Rojas kicking their ass was enough to send 87-year-old Jerry Reinsdorf to invite Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams into his office and say, no mas. Do we think he fired them together in Mm. person? Do you think it was meeting with Kenny, meeting with Rick, meeting with both of them, or was it everybody in what like Jerry Reinsdorf clearly had been building up the courage mm-hmm. for 20 <laughs> years to let these guys go. So maybe he only had one blast of you fired. Mm-hmm. This is a good transition to some reporting from Bob Nightingale, which uh, came out this morning, which That's is actually the name of my new band. Exactly. Some reporting from Bob Nightingale. Some, some re- I mean, oh boy, sign me. Are they on Spotify yet? I am uh, pretty sure, based on uh, what Bob reported, and, and this is important to know, I know that we've made fun of, of, of Bob. Bob has his, his quirks, for sure, and his uh, syntax and his tweets and whatever. But and, generally... And his, and his flaws. And his flaws, for sure. In the report, when it comes to reporting yeah. news that is fact and fiction, whatever. But the, the truth is, is that Bob is plugged in uh, with the White Sox. That has been true for a long time. If you go back and think about... Any really significant White Sox trade or signing, he has gotten at first. That is not an accident. It seems like he has a pretty close connection with Jerry Reinsdorf, or at least someone in the White Sox knows what's going on. And so when he reported this morning that apparently two interesting details, actually three interesting details. One, he actually made this decision a week ago, okay, and wanted to give them one last chance, which again, at this point, I don't know. You've already traded all the way your good players you're trying to lose, so I don't know what he wanted to see. But apparently he decided a week ago, and apparently it was two separate office invites, uh, according okay. to Nightingale. But then the other thing, which is bigger picture, is that Bob says fairly definitively that he expects 
farm director Chris Getz to be promoted from within, to be the GM. And the other wild thing in this story, which I'm not even sure you saw this yet, is they're also planning to bring in someone from the outside, Jake. Now, I'm going to, since you didn't see this yet. Oh, oh, do you have a guess? This is good. I don't believe you've seen this yet, so this is a fun game. Oh, there's a specific name. There's a specific name that, that Nightingale has reported as likely being brought in to work with Chris Getz, okay? And it is, who boy. Uh, but any Tony LaRussa. Tony okay, LaRussa. Okay, so Tony... So I'm glad you mentioned Tony LaRussa. This is also some part of the reporting that Tony LaRussa is apparently back with the White Sox in a consulting manner. Tony LaRussa has been undergoing cancer treatments apparently for the last year or so and is not doing so well and is not looking, obviously, a non-position to manage, but is apparently still uh, one of Jerry's right-hand men. So he is involved still in this search. But the man, the name that was reported is Dayton Moore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jake, yes, Dayton Moore, who apparently has history with Chris Getz from Kansas City. Of course, Kansas City has uh, produced a World Series championship more recently than the White Sox. If I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, <laughs> I'm looking across the division and I'm saying, oh, yeah. Who's doing it right? <laughs> I like what's going on at Kauffman Stadium. I like... Hey. What's up with the Kansas City Royals? I like how things are going over there. They just lost two in a row to the A's. The, the Royals. C- copy and paste. So so Dayton Moore, of course, who was fired by Kansas City last year, who's now recently been working in Texas, I believe, as like a you know special assistant to whatever. He, you know, to, to in fairness to Jerry, the Royals have won a World Series more recently than all the other teams in the division. I know Cleveland came off and awfully close. Minnesota certainly hasn't won anything in the playoffs. But anyway, the point is... is, Jordan, 2015 (laughs) might as well be 1905 as far as the game has changed. Yes, but the whole reason we're here is because they've been treating 2005 like 2015. So 2015 feels like yesterday. So anyway, the point is, that is the reporting we have from Bob this morning. And that is a good way to zoom out and to think about, okay, how should White Sox fans, how are White Sox fans probably feeling? Before we do that, Jordan, I would like to just give some neutrals who maybe don't follow the White Sox a brief timeline, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1992, Kenny Williams gets hired by the team Mm -hmm. after he's done with his playing career. Over the 90s, he kind of works his way up the ladder in baseball operations and becomes a general manager in 2000. The team then hires Rick Hahn in 2002. He's like a hot shot GM. Like everyone's trying to hire Rick Hahn. And Rick Hahn's like, I love it here. I'm staying, motherfuckers. <laughs> Those two run the team in tandem from 2002 when Hahn gets there to yesterday. Yesterday, in 2012, ahead of the 2013 season, Rick Hahn becomes GM. Kenny Williams gets promoted to executive vice president of whatever the hell. And that was the status quo heading into yesterday. And so the level of stasis over the last two decades is a very important thing to know when we consider Chris Getz, who is already, the, I believe, uh, director of player development. Mm -hmm. Um, or assistant GM of player development with the White Sox, where hiring someone internal is not necessarily a fresh start. And that (laughs) is why I, it's the last thing, Mm -hmm. no shade to Chris Getz, who might be a smart baseball person who's maybe being stymied by the vision above him. I don't know. It's just, I maintain a level of skepticism, as does, I would imagine, White Sox fans. Where as long as Jerry Reinsdorf is sitting atop the pyramid, there is not a lot of reason to believe things are going to change. Mm -hmm. At the same time, that an 87-year-old, famously loyal and stubborn owner woke up over the last week, looked at his organization, took a little peep, opened his eyes, and said, we need change some sort of change after 22 years is notable and tells me 
it must be a shit show over there. Yeah. Where if he did not make a change after like the Drake LaRoche kerfuffle <laughs> and so many Chris times. Sale cut, there's so many other insane things that have happened mm-hmm. to the White Sox over the last 20 years. And yeah. that this was the final straw tells us it's not so over there. And there was, you know, yesterday they lose again. And uh, Eloy Jimenez is asked afterwards, because of course, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about White Sox clubhouse culture. Forget the roster construction and the direction of the franchise, which is clearly why you, you know, you fire Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. But this is related to clubhouse culture. And now once you trade all your pitching and everything, like you've clearly signaled to the franchise, to the team, you're not intent on winning this season. That's fine. But when they ask uh, Eloy Jimenez after the game, like, has anyone stepped up to talk about leadership? And he's like, no. They cut to the post game, and our friend Chuck Garfine and Ozzy Guillen, of course, just like crush Eloy and crush. And they're saying, like, this is the whole problem. This is the whole problem. And that's all true, right? But this is the, the thing. When you let this kind of leadership go on for so long, when you have this much stagnant kind of energy, there's so much wrong, right? It, it can't just be one thing or one guy. You can't pin it on this one guy who's not hustling or one guy who's not trying hard or one guy who's not being a leader. It's everybody. At the same time, to your point, it still goes back to the top. So I agree with you. It is wild that they seemingly reportedly are going to stay internal. Maybe Chris Getz can't turn it around. I can understand if you're Jerry Reinsdorf thinking, I need someone younger. I need a former player who played recently, and that is Chris Getz. We have seen a wave of more former players kind of elevating to GM roles to varying degrees of success. So I think that is an interesting trend. But if we're bringing in Dayton Moore, I mean, again, like, it's just like, oh, that. that is, all of that tells me that, again, this is so much with the ownership is that they just want to oftentimes get someone that they have a vision of. It doesn't matter what you can tell them, right? This has been the problem in Colorado is that Dick Monfort doesn't know anybody else. That's why he's kept staying internal, 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 internal. And so when you look around, there's very few teams left that have stuck with the same group or same people for this long. It's really just now the Yankees, right? Obviously. The A's, David Forst has been there for about 20 plus years, but that's a whole different situation. And now that's that's kind of the end of the list in terms of t- you know groups of, of front office people that have been around all the way back to the beginning. We're going to talk about Mike Rizzo and the Nats, who have a long history too here in a second. But like it's it's a short list now, uh, and so that really you know, kind of goes to show you. And, and oftentimes those besides the Yankees, although <laughs> they're certainly in an interesting spot now. You this is what's so wild. Kenny Williams says we've underperformed. This is what happens. I'm like. This is what should have happened many, many, many times over the last seven years. Like, yes, technically you're right. This is what happens. But think about how far past we are. This is what happens. I think you're reading it wrong, Jordan. He goes, we underperformed. This is what happens? (laughs) Question mark. This is so the true. consequences of my actions? <laughs> oh, this wait, is what? me reefing what I sowed? Yeah. So uh, we'll see. My last There's, point, though. Yeah. Can I, I mean, I'll, let me make one final point. As a non-White Sox fan, I've been talking to people around the game about this. As a follower of the sport, I need irrational actors to stay and survive in our game. (laughs) I do not want 30 intelligent, in quotation marks, boot-bopping organizations that are all hyper-efficient and are doing every single thing correctly all the time, Mm -hmm. right? I want 10 weirdos just making odd choices. Yes. People living in the past, people blinded by their own hubris. Mm-hmm. And I need that. So, my hope as a non White Sox fan, and I'm sorry, White Sox fans, I hope they hire Dayton more. Yeah. I hope they stay internal. Mm-hmm. I hope Jerry Reinsdorf lives till he's 150. <laughs> okay. And that. The White Sox never freaking change. Uh, okay? And I hope the, the the franchise stumbles onto some glory in that time. Mm, I don't mm-hmm. I don't wish pain. That does happen sometimes. It We've does happen. It. You can still win even despite all those right. stupid stuff. Yeah. But from from a flavor perspective, I love this flavor. Mm-hmm. Fires me up. It is just a wild thing. You think back to five years ago. I found a tweet from the summer of twenty seventeen from MLB Pipeline. And it was like 25% of the top 100 list 
is White Sox and Braves prospects. It was like, ooh, because it was those two. For that stretch there from like 17, 18, as they, as they made the first rebuild, made all those trades, and the Braves had Acuna and Albies and all these guys coming up, it was those two were so far ahead of everybody else in terms of prospects. And for a second, it looked like the White Sox were actually building towards something pretty exciting. Like womp, womp. Yeah, and then and then here we are. All right. Anyway, let's move on to another. So there's, there's plenty more White Sox. This will be a fascinating story. Certainly in the off season, more trades they're going to make. Are they really going to hire Dayton Moore? All these things. Okay, we'll get to that. Let's move to another team that has been a lot largely the same for a long time. That is the Washington Nationals. With news uh, coming out of the last few days, they have extended manager Davey Martinez for another two years. With reporting uh, and expectations that the Lerner family was exploring selling the team over the last few years, which has since subsided, seemingly, to some degree, many people assumed that when a new owner would come in, they would try to refresh the front office as well, as the Nationals had become one of the worst teams in baseball the last few years with a desolate farm system. And they decided, we need something new. We need something fresh. We need, you know, some Ivy League dork to come in here and revitalize this group. Instead, because the Nationals have been playing incredible baseball for about two months now, and Davey Martinez is still the guy that, you know, was the manager when they won the World Series, they've decided to extend Davey Martinez. There are reports that they are also exploring extending uh, Mike Rizzo. I, here's where I stand on this. First of all, it has been very fun to watch the Nationals this season. There are still a lot of questions about the direction of their franchise on a macro level in terms of player development, in terms of player acquisition, in terms of drafting. However, to see what they have become this season, which is not just a frisky bad team, but a team where some of those young players that they have traded for and counted on have looked pretty damn good. C.J. Abrams and Caber Ruiz have both been excellent in the second half. Mackenzie Gore has looked very good. Josiah Gray has looked very good. Like, those things have looked good. Those are feathers in Mike Rizzo's cap. However, if you talk to people around the game about what the Nationals are still, what their reputation still is in terms of drafting and developing players from within, not trading, they are still light years behind everybody else. And so that is why I do wonder if Mike Rizzo really is the best guy to lead this team moving forward. I can understand the learners getting swept up in how this rebuild has looked so far, but I think it is a bit of a cautionary tale to go, as we've seen with the White Sox, to commit too much to the guy that gave you the World Series and and go forward. I'm fine with the Davey thing. I don't think that makes that big of a difference as far as a two-year deal. You're not saying he's your manager forever. I think that's fine. But I think that this could, and maybe they don't extend Rizzo, we'll see. But I think that this is a little delicate, a little delicate here. Vehemently disagree. Oh, you're, you're, uh, you said bring, well, is it because of everything you just said? Yeah. About, okay, okay. So you already made the same point. So you just want the Nationals to be living off this forever. And hey, like, I, sure, you know, there, maybe, maybe that's fine. I know that there are a lot of people in the Nationals that sure are, can understandably be loyal. 2019 is a lot more recent than 2015 or 2005. But um, it's I, I don't know I don't know I mean maybe there's a version where Mike Rizzo sees that that there needs to be change around him and bring in more around him and yeah. there's been some signs of that so maybe there's hope there I'm not saying that this would be a an, an complete downright disaster I just think that there's uh that there's maybe some some maybe some concerns there. I I have an idea All right let's hear it Assistant General Manager. Scott Boris. Mm. I mean, we're basically already there, right? That's what I'm saying. Make it official. Okay. You know, hire Boris. The mm. two of them run the Nats for the next five years together. <laughs> just, a dream fulfilled. Isn't this a like, f- yeah, isn't this, I know this is already sort of true with baseball, but isn't this like a thing in the NBA where like we've seen agents become general managers? Like I think that has actually yeah. happened. I, obviously, we saw it with Brody. That went super well so i don't i mean does does boris aspire to do that because as far as i'm concerned boris views himself as the shadow gm for multiple teams and that's cooler than doing it for one team yeah but he only cried for (laughs) one team and that was the washington nationals uh before Uh, we have steven nelson on to talk about the dodgers let's provide a quick wander franco update Mm -hmm. wander who is currently under investigation in the dominican republic for uh, alleged misbehavior with underaged girls. Uh, He was moved from the restricted list 
to administrative leave over the last few days. And the reason that that's important is because he goes from the Tampa Bay Rays problem to MLB's problem. And so now his future is under the control. Control is the wrong word, but it's it's basically under MLB's thumb. Wander's visual presence around Tropicana Field and Rays World as a whole has become very diminished over the past week. Uh, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times reported they're taking Wander's picture down from inside the ballpark and he's not on any of the ads anymore on the broadcast and his presence is just slowly being taken away as it should be. Yes. Um, Nothing is definitive. It's still going to take a long time for all of this to play out. But the upshot here is do not expect Wander Franco back this season. No. And not for a pretty long time. At the yeah, I, I mean, I think that we did, I think you, we already sort of assumed we would not see him again this season. But this is we really don't have that much more information besides this move uh, to the administrative leave list. So this is going to be, unfortunately, certainly a story that we will be tracking in the off season. I, I doubt we'll be getting much more updates before then. But uh, you know, this is obviously upsetting, and can do, any more reporting we're going to get from this is going to be troubling and, and disappointing. Obviously. I will say um, he is gone, and now Wander Franco, who is a rest player, is now on the team. And the Rays have Oslavis Basabe, who comes up and hits a grand slam last night for his first home run, and they're probably going to be fine. They've played well without Wander, and it's a good reminder that they'll be probably just fine without him. But uh, there was a quote. There was yeah. a quote from Christian Betancourt about it that I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. where he said, "Yeah, we've barely even thought about it," mm-hmm. which, on one hand, I don't believe. Because a top 10 player in the world and someone your franchise gave 200 plus million dollars to may never play again for your team is the type of thing I would talk about with my teammates, right? If I was on the team. But at the same time, it confirms some of the things that I've heard about how Wander was perceived within that clubhouse by a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. where, yes, he was viewed as a vital member of the lineup or the defense or whatever, but he was not particularly well-liked within that room. Mm-hmm. And so the players, like Betancourt's quotes are more like, yeah, whatever. Like, we're, we have 26 other people here and we're trying to win a World Series. Like, we're trucking forward and whatever. Yeah. And, you know? uh, yeah, and, I, and that part of it, that part of yeah. it, I do believe. Sure. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, we've had to deal with a lot of really uh, upsetting off the field stories involving players that are now not playing anymore. And and a theme has been, yeah, I mean, these the teammates are the ones left to answer questions about it. And that's often not fair. And they that's not <laughs> they're not, you know, responsible for that and whatever. So but they have no choice and the Rays have a great team anyway, and they're going to probably move forward and be just fine. Uh, All right, Jake, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will have a special guest, Stephen Nelson, one of the great voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers, to tell us why they're just going to win a billion games again. All right, the Dodgers. We'll be right back with Stephen Nelson. This is Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and host of Black Diamonds, a Sirius XM podcast. On this week's all-new episode, I'm talking baseball history with 1968 world champion Willie Horton. My first five years with the Tigers, I couldn't ride no taxi. I couldn't eat with the white players. You learn a good lesson from the Negro League. Download Black Diamonds right now on the SXM app, available with all trials and popular plans or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we have a very special guest, Stephen Nelson, a broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers and 8,000 other things. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Friends, first and foremost, we have some mazels to hand out to the both of you, because since we've last uh, gathered in this digital podcast setting, one of you got engaged and the other got married. So first and foremost, congratulations to oh. you and yours. And, thank you, uh, Stephen. It's beautiful. It's, 
It's very, it's very kind of you. I will say it's, it's been interesting, like, you know, going to the Reds, Blue Jays over the weekend. People that I didn't think knew I got married were like, hey, congrats. It's like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> the uh, funny thing is for me, people coming up to me and yeah. congratulating Jordan about getting married. <laughs> yes. Hey, we let, let Jordan know instead of no. I mean, that's yeah. the, when you guys are uh, as perpetually online <laughs> as you've been now for the last, the last decade. You know, people know you. People know. know you. It's and, fine. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not complaining. It's been. You. It's been very nice. <laughs> Nelly, didn't you have another kid? I did. I did. Sick, yeah. dude. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. I guess we gotta reciprocate the the mazels. Yeah, or the or maybe it's uh, uh, condolences for you know, no sleep for the <laughs> the rest of your life. Yeah, mm, mm, but, you yeah. know that's what these road trips for the Dodgers are uh, a godsend, and my why my wife uh, issues a stern warning every time I depart for one said you better get the best sleep of your entire <laughs> life because once you mm. get home you are having now two handoffs. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Not aware of that. Um, so, Nelly, before we hop into the Los Angeles Dodgers, and we, we promise listeners that we, we, we will talk about the team that is very good, you grew up and uh, a, a White Sox fan, and you maintain a shred of your White Sox fandom. You, like us, have struggled to leave that behind as, we've, as you've climbed up in the baseball world. Yeah. Now, with all the White Sox things that happened yesterday, we have already talked about them on the podcast. Here's my question for you. I want you to describe how you are feeling right now in one word. If you could pick a single word in the English language to describe how your White Sox fandom is moving and vibing on this beautiful Wednesday morning, what would it be? And then once you say the word, I will not ask you anything else about the Chicago White Sox. So just a one word answer? One word answer. Give me like, like pretend like you're a baseball player after a tough outing. <laughs> <laughs> this is some, some deeply troubling role playing. Um, empty. Great. Okay, so let's move on to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Jordan. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I mean, I do. I am very curious where Nelly is feeling today. But you are here to talk about the Dodgers, and we can ask you about the White Sox. Yeah, we let's go. Yeah, let's go from one deeply unserious organization to one of the other end of the spectrum. Yes, please. the most the most serious in in, in many respects. Uh, the Dodgers, despite being defeated by the guy that lost them a bunch of games earlier in this season and Noah Syndergaard last night, are generally playing extremely good baseball. They are seventy six and forty eight, a record that the White Sox surely have aspired many times to be over the last 18 years since winning the World Series, but instead have come nowhere close to that. Uh, Steven Nelson, now that you have been a you know one of the voices of the Dodgers and around this team, of course, you've been on MLB Network and following this team from a distance like we have as they have ascended to the top of baseball over the last decade. Now that you get to actually see it on a almost you know daily basis, what have you come to understand and appreciate about what makes this machine go? That's a awesome question uh, because I've sort of from afar you see the decade of dominance that they've um, enjoyed in Los Angeles, and you're just kind of like, oh, okay, like it's it's just the, it's just the Dodgers, right? And you come to now expect this, but I think kind of double dutching into the organization for the first time this year and getting to meet all the people behind the scenes that make it work from kind of top to bottom. You're like, Oh wow. This is like a truly a machine to use your word. Uh, uh, Cause I think it appropriately and perfectly describes the operation from a baseball standpoint. I mean, it, there is not like a single stone left unturned any day of the year, which is why um, they're so good. And um, it's it's just kind of dizzying. You're like, it, this doesn't make sense how efficient <laughs> this operation is. So I, I think it has enhanced the appreciation that I had had working outside the organization and covering them at the network. It's just now it's like, okay, this is uh, this is real. This is not just like a, 
an accident that things are happening for this team every year. How does the inevitability of the Los Angeles Dodgers impact the way you call games? Because if you were calling games for a team that was always finding a way to drop the chili on itself, you would probably handle that differently than a team that is always finding a way, MacGyvering itself into victories. No, it yeah, there's definitely a, a, a Thanosian element to the Dodgers. And it, it, it definitely makes the job more fun. Calling wins is more fun. Like there's just, there's just no way around that fact. And so when you show up at the park and, you know, the first pitch is thrown and you're now in the thick of a game. And even if the team falls down, you know, that they have the most two out, like there's two outs or two strikes in innings. They have the most two out runs in all of baseball. So a rally could happen at any moment. They have, I've lost track of how many comeback wins they have. So it's even when they're losing, the expectation is maybe, maybe they'll win again. And so it, it definitely, you know, gives you more energy. You know, the, the, the vibes floor <laughs> is a lot of teams ceiling. Yes. You know, we, all, we, I, you know, we don't have our, great friends Sarah Langs with us though uh but we have to talk about vibes and so yeah the vibes floor for the Dodgers is higher than many team ceilings and so again I don't take that for granted doing this job like that that, right. that is that is like a very fortunate thing to be able to say so do do um, the players like if I was on the like there's a different set of expectations so if the pirates no shade when four in a row, the vibes mm-hmm. are probably immaculate in their clubhouse. Yeah. The Dodgers win four in a row. The expectation in that room is that they win four in a row. So it do, like I would imagine it doesn't really get like hooting and hollering in the same way that it would elsewhere because yeah. they expect to be great. I yes, reason yeah, it stands the reason that that would be right. Uh, but with this particular group, uh, they, this is a group that really does, I think, savor everything differently and together. And that is why you're now hearing Dave Roberts talk publicly. He's been saying it, you know, privately amongst the team. Hey, this is this is my favorite group that I've ever had. And now he's publicly saying that, and a lot of the players are saying this is this is a really special group. The no, no player is ever going to take that stance because, you know, every year and every team is different and they're all brothers and you know, they, they love, you know, you can't pick your favorite kid, right, of all the teams you've been on. But if there is a sense among this team that the energy, the chemistry, the cohesiveness, I mean, to steal a, a line that Mookie Betts used earlier this year, just – a bunch of homies who play baseball together and they play for each other. And so uh, while, yeah, because of the standard of winning, the organization has set for itself for the last 10 plus years, you would think like a four game win streak doesn't mean as much uh, to this group. I, I feel it does. They, they really do enjoy being around each other. Well, and the most important part obviously is that Mookie and Freddie are two of the best players in the world. Like that's yeah. most important, but I will say it does feel like from a distance and it seems like you can verify this from up close. They are now both very comfortable as Dodgers. And that was not necessarily the case initially for Freddie, obviously. And then even Mookie, even winning the world series so quickly, you know, it took a little bit of time, but now that those two are so obviously the guys and two clear, obvious MVP candidates on top of that, it seems like it flows from them because, you know, even last year, as as great as, as Freddie still was, he wasn't fully there yet, I felt like. So is that is that fair to fair to say? Totally. Two two thoughts it come to mind there. First and foremost, like it's their clubhouse now. Yeah. Like they're the guys. You know, the, there was like a changing of the guard within the Dodger Clubhouse this year, like Justin Turner no longer in it, right? Cody Bell, like all these faces that were ingrained in the team and the community are now with other teams. And so 
your two superstars are leading the way. And the second thought is you use the word comfortable. That has kind of been from a baseball standpoint, the biggest takeaway for me being in my first year with the team, watching those two guys every single day, the reason why I think or a huge reason why they are who they are in this game is because they are so comfortable in who they are as baseball players. Right. And like, I think that's in a way we can, we can't relate to their level of, of talent within baseball. What I think we can all sort of relate to that as humans, like trying to find our voice, who we are as people, our routines, what works for us and that's a struggle like for, for if, you know and for some of us it's like a never-ending journey you're trying to search for those things that make you good at what you do they have found it and they don't stray from it they're just so machine-like in how they go about every single day and it's like oh yeah that's that's why <laughs> they're two perennial perennial mvp candidates so uh i i agree with you wholeheartedly that they are just fully settled in to being Dodgers now. And um, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's helped them even more uh, than they typically do as all-stars in this game. So the vibe I get from Dodgers fans on the internet, and you know, you can believe everything you see on the internet. So I have no concerns about that. The vibe that I get is there's really two camps. There's the, Holy God, look at this juggernaut again. This is amazing. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is none of this matters because the pitching is not good enough to compete in October. Right? Yeah. This is all cute and fun. And like these games are great and Mookie and Freddie are awesome. But are we really going to roll into October with this group in the rotation? Where is your concern level on that spectrum? Um. Not as high, and I don't say that because the Dodgers write my checks now. I It's just more like a philosophical viewpoint for me, where it's like, you know, this is a this is this is baseball. Like this in the grand scheme, this doesn't really matter to me. But <laughs> that's a like an existential conversation uh, for another day. Um, I, w- I will say it's been fascinating to see, and this is not just Dodger fans on the internet. I think this is the whole of um, baseball world watching this team. I think the goalposts have moved for this this team as the year has gone along. I think after the offseason, it was like, mm, they punted on the offseason. They are gearing up for 2024. Right. Oh, say they've let all these guys go out the clubhouse. This is going to be a transition year for the Dodgers. And for a couple months, people are like, see, look, 500. They're not even, they're in third place in the division. You know, their time's done. Transition year happening. And then. What even is a Diamondback? (laughs) I I feverishly Google, like, it's what kind of snake is that? Um, No, and now that they're 12 games up in the division, now the conversation and the tenor of Dodger talk is here we go again. But it's like, no, that this, this was not supposed to happen in your eyes. So um, I, so I think that's, that's sort of interesting to me. Look, they have the, the fifth most starts by rookie pitchers this year. Um, they have, I believe the most games lost to the injured list of any staff in baseball. So with those two things in mind, the numbers that we are seeing make sense. Like this is, you're supposed to see young pitchers go through growing pains. And when young pitchers are not going and, and veterans struggling are not going deep into games, you're going to have to use your bullpen more. And when your bullpen is used more, their numbers, you know, they're going to go up too. So this, this shouldn't be that baffling. Um, when you take a look at the full context of the year. Yeah. Um, now, but I don't say all that to dismiss the, the forecasting concerns uh, about the staff in October. There are a lot of ifs, right? If Julio Urias returns and maintain, maintains Cy Young candidate form, if 
Clayton Kershaw remains healthy. If the duct tape works. Yeah, right. Um, so I, for that, I, I do give you know, Dave Roberts and his staff a ton of credit. They have, they have had to use you know duct tape to kind of you know patchwork this staff together and, and keep it together. They've lost the you know key bullpen pieces. So let me interject for a second. Yeah. For folks who don't follow the Dodgers closely, yeah. I am going to read out their injured list. Okay, this pitching staff on the injured list is probably a top 10 group in the league. Rotation, Bueller, Tony Gonsolin, Michael Grove, and Dustin May are all on the IL. Solid. That's a pretty good starting rotation. Okay, bullpen, Yancy Almonte, who was incredible last year, Tyler Sear, J.P. Fireisen, Daniel Hudson, Joe Kelly, Shelby Miller, Jimmy Nelson, Alex Reyes, Blake Trinan. That's probably like a top 10 bullpen in the league, right? Like that's the IL, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it's not as if the Dodgers woke up in April and were like, this is the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, things are gone awry. And to, but to your point, like that's – we're not even counting Kershaw who's just kind of like a constant concern. All, all due respect, that's just kind of the, the, the place he's at right now, right? And so that is that is the, the delicate uh, situation. I, I will say like – that's why you mentioned all those rookie starts that they've had and have arguably been somewhat disappointing outside of Bobby Miller, who I'm, I'm all in on. I think he's looked great recently. But like, I know it's not Erod, but like the Lynn and Yarbrough additions are a huge deal. Like they, they, they needed innings so badly, let alone how well they've thrown. And so like those, I know people kind of poo-pooed those as, as ultimately the deadline additions. Yeah. on the pitching staff, but I thought those were massive trades. And I, I, I think that the, that we've seen already how helpful those guys have been. Totally. And again, goalpost move at the time, people like Lance Lynn, he's given up the most home runs in the league. He's the yeah, highest. But if ERA you, come on. I, I, no, I understand why people said that, but like if, if you were not, if you're actually surprised that he now, sure. Did I expect him to dominate to this degree? No, but like this is so yeah. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Progression to the mean, right? Yes. Was was something you could forecast. You you take sure. them out of a, a losing situation. You drop any player in a winning situation <laughs> that's going to give wind in their sails. Totally. And then Ryan totally. Yarbrough, like given how effective he has been as this chameleon pitcher <laughs> in his career, and I and how vocal he's been about wanting to start, but then also excelling at not starting. Like adding a, somebody like that to your staff, like it's massive now yeah. you know bobby miller like they're they're going to have to monitor his workload that's just it's a, any young pitcher right that's going to be a conversation the second half of the year uh, second half of the year i think last year he threw 112 innings mm -hmm. total and remember his season ended early because of shoulder trouble and that delayed the start of this year and so he's already at 96 innings between you know the, the major leagues and a brief stint in AAA or in the minors before he was called up, so like that's going to be a thing, and so that's why I circle a name like Ryan Pepio for being huge down the stretch. He was he was going to break camp as the fifth starter, and then an oblique injury shut him down. He didn't debut until July 14th, and so for him, it's you know given that workload ramp up. Um, you know, for most young pitchers it's spring training, then you get the first half, then the second half is the concern. Well, it, this is his ramp up in first half right now. So he could be a huge, huge arm for them down the stretch. So I, I I'm really looking forward to see what, what Pepio brings to the table. Yeah. Um, and I, I think he's, that's a really good name and, and kind of good note to kind of end on because what, to me, what's fascinating me about the Dodgers is just like we assume that all of their they still have this great farm system and you can rely on now Bobby Miller was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball so you could sort of count on that but you know the, those other guys some due to injury some due to performance have just not quite delivered on both sides of the ball right like I love Michael Bush he hasn't really done it Miguel Vargas he hasn't really done it right we saw Sheehan and Grove and Stone like those guys have not really delivered in the way that I think people were counting on in terms of depth but one of them will, at least one or two of them will start to show up when they need them the most, I'm sure. And again, it's not like they've had trouble anyway. So it's, uh, it's you know, winning games regardless. So that is a good reminder of just 
how important depth is. And as you said, you could see it behind the scenes, just why they're going to keep winning because that's, that is the, the operation. It's, it's almost foolproof. Like it's, they can't, there's the floor is so you mean not just the vibes, but like the performance floor is so high because that's yeah. just this operation they've set up. Right. I, and I think that's, that is why like it's been a decade why it continues is because it's not just buying wins or buying stars at the major league level they are scouting drafting developing signing players to make sure that the cupboards are always full and even though i think they're what seventh now on pipeline rankings that's because a lot of those guys who are still prospects like yeah. still young guys they've graduated Sure. But they're still there, the Varguses, uh, the Emmett Sheehan's. Like they're they're still technically prospects, even though they're 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 uh, or they're technically not prospects, but they still are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, it's just wave after wave, and and that and that's what I think every um, team should aspire to be like. You know, like it's not that simple though. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, the Mets. That's the thing. Like Steve Cohen can say he wants to be like the Dodgers, but it takes so much and i think what you sort of alluded to it takes so many people that you don't see there's yeah. not one gm you can hire that makes this possible like this right. takes so long to get to yeah steve cohen saying that he wants to be like the dodgers at least it's better than jerry reinsdorf saying he wants to be like the royals <laughs> all right well you that's could, a good i could i you know what i was looking at you jordan out of my peripheral i could see jake something was brewing and bubbling to the surface. And I thought there's two ways it could go here. But the most likely way is that it's going to be about the White Sox. And sure enough, sure enough, I thought the other the other way I thought was going to be uh, like some obscure tie into the Chapman baseball program. Oh, um, well, we'll, we'll save that. We'll save the, the Chapman Panthers talk for, for after for the recording. Five. But we will also spare you the um, the... Uh, recorded platform of talking about the White Sox coherently. We are going to <laughs> cut this off here. Steven Nelson, you are outstanding. Thank you hey, so much. Hey, where can people, where where, can yeah, people where find can... your work? Yeah. <laughs> Who's, that's uh... that you said, like, oh, he does like a thousand. No, now I just do one thing. Now yeah, I just, now I just work for the Dodgers. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, pretty straightforward. So yeah, yeah. we just he's on Dodgers games uh, a lot of the time. My, my favorite part, of, well, one of my favorite stories about uh, working now on the Dodger broadcast. So I fill in for for Joe Davis, mm-hmm. and so I'm going up the escalator. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you, have you heard of him? He's the voice of the the sport. He's incredibly beautiful. Um, so we're going up the escalators at Dodger Stadium, as you guys know. To, to get to the oh, I, I know those well yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um there's this uh, group of fans right in, in in front of me and they turn around and they're like oh wow like steven like oh it's so great to meet you well one of the friends they didn't know who i was and um she said oh, oh i'm sorry i'm like no worries like i i don't care at all and then the friend was like yeah he's um he's joe davis jr so i'm joe <laughs> davis's son now so <laughs> Um, that's, that's kind of been I, a running bit uh, that I, but that's that I great. Aren't you and Joe are like, eh, we can say it anyway. I was like, you guys are like roughly the same age, right? Yeah, or, he's, he's, he's a year older than a me. Year older. Okay. Well I wasn't be, sure if, yeah, he might as well be 30. Joe is the, <laughs> the oldest 35, six year old that you will ever meet uh, in your life. And that's, that's part of his charm. It's great. We love Joe. We love you. Thank you, Steven Nelson. Uh, enjoy. The Dodgers' revenge on the Guardians after Noah Syndergaard took them down. We appreciate it so much, and we will. They're going to put uh, up a hundred runs tonight. Ahmed Rosario, yes. seven RBIs yes. cycle. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Steven. Love you guys. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast for the end of yet another mediocre show. Um, the New York Yankees, speaking of mediocre, are carrying a hefty L9 on their shoulders. Worse than mediocre, Jordan? They would love to be mediocre. Are you kidding me? They were mediocre, mediocre for the first four months. <laughs> they, should, they are aspiring for mediocrity at this point. I mean, that would be a dream come true because an L9 is the farthest thing for mediocre. First nine-game losing streak for the Yankees since 1982. If they lose a tenth tonight... With Luis Severino on the bump, Cy, uh, it'd be the first 10-game losing streak. as in like Cy Young? Cy, no. 
the opposite of that. Uh, Cy Young, that's a good that's a good award we should give. S I G H Young. S I G H Young. Uh, first ten game losing streak for the Yankees since 1913, which was the first year they were the Yankees. They had two other ten game losing streaks as the Highlanders in the 19 aughts or whatever. But yeah, 1913, I believe, was Kenny Williams's second year with the White <laughs> yeah. Sox. Yes. So it's been a while. Uh, things are not good with the Yankees. However, I'm just, just going to take quickly, yeah. quickly. You're, I know you're about to talk about the youth infusion. <laughs> Yesterday on the, uh, if you watch the highlight package from their two to one loss to the Nats, oh. I watched like with, most of the game live, so I was I was living. Okay, it. yeah. Well, it starts with Michael K. Their broadcaster being like, hoping that the, there's an infusion of energy and youth, and and then it's like they lose two to one and they get two hits and they're both from Ben Rortfett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, and like <laughs> JoJo was was uh, effectively wild last night. I think he had more walks than strikeouts. Carlos, the line was good. Didn't look quite as good as we would like to see. I believe he got zero swings and misses on his fastball last night. Now, the Nats don't strike out a lot, so I guess that's something. But not good. L9, Yankees stink. But I'll give you uh, 30 seconds positivity on Everson Pereira because I don't really know why this guy hasn't gotten more more hype. Like he was a bit, he was their top international signing in 2017. He was a top five player in the class, a 2017 class which is looking very very strange in retrospect. I know that's true for all July two classes now January 15th. That's the class that uh, was led by Wander Franco first and foremost, uh, but it also had Julio, who was like the 12th best prospect in that class, and Ronnie Mauricio, who was like the 15th. And the funny one is the Yankees gave a lot of money to two guys. One of them was Everson Pereira, and one of them was a outfielder named Ramfer Salinas. If you've never heard of him, it's because he hasn't made his past A-ball, and he was suspended for PEDs three months ago. But Everson Pereira has steadily worked his way up the Yankee system, has put fantastic numbers in the upper minors this year, and most importantly, Jake, he is a real, live, actual outfielder who plays mm. outfield. And the Yankees, for whatever reason, have struggled to find one of those in recent years. And so just him playing left, and he threw a guy out at second, like, the Yankees fans were like, this guy's amazing. But I like Prayer. I think he's going to help them be, be a little bit more watchable this season. So I'm excited. I would say the two words why he hasn't gotten more hype are Estevan Florial. Yeah, I, there's a similar issue with like, is he too much swing and miss in the bat yeah. where he has a lot of raw juice and he's a really good athlete. That's just what I've heard from people around the Yankees. Like there yeah. is a bit of like Estevan Florial trauma. That's true. I don't know. I, I, I I'm, I'm more optimistic. I think that the, the hit tool is a little better here. He's, he's been more consistent. Florial has fluctuated a lot more, but I hear that. I hear that. I'm, listen, I'm trying to give them any reason to turn the freaking game on. I mean, my yeah. God, this has been so bleak. So good for good for Pereira, good for the Yankees. I hope Speaking, and listen, the season's dead, but maybe he yeah. can give them some hope for next year. Speaking of bleak, <laughs> may I direct your attention to Anaheim, California? <laughs> yeah. So Mike Trout. Yeah. So last last week we did a draft where we took the most bummery things in baseball. And you took Mike Trout. Because he had to watch, he basically had to watch his friends die. Yeah, know? I'm trying to see. I'm going to check while you're talking. Like, how far back were they when he got hurt? Um, so Mike Trout, yeah, Mike Trout came back last night, which is great. We love when Mike Trout plays baseball. Love it. Need him to get to 100 WAR. That's a must. He's at 85. He'll get there. I'm not <laughs> worried. Just a little oh, worried. Not worried. Not worried. Yeah. Um, good to have Mike Trout back. They lost anyway. Because that's what the Angels do. And Jordan, I have a theoretical question for you about okay. Shohei Otani. Oh, about Shohei Otani. All right. Yep. So the Angels are now, what is it, nine games out for the wild card? Yeah, they were seven games out of first when Trout got hurt. Sorry, six games out of first place when Trout got hurt. Now they are, uh, yeah, they are 10 games out of the Ten wild card. 10 back. Of the third wild card spot. Okay. So it's not, let me just say this it's not good. No. Nope. They are 10 back. And just for reference, okay, the Pirates are eight and a half back. Just want to give everyone that context here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Shohei Otani, Mm -hmm. who the Angels did not trade at the deadline, will be. They didn't, right. Angels employed for the remainder of the season, unless 
the Angels DFA him. Okay. Okay. Let's say Artie Moreno wakes up today and says, <laughs> all hope is lost. Fuck this. I'm selling the team. I don't want to pay Otani the remainder of Otani's salary this year. It's not worth the money <laughs> or the the whatever. Uh, let's DFA him and just we're gonna blow it all up, lose as many games as we can, get the first pick, whatever. Okay. Otani hits waivers. Yeah. Okay. Which team is gonna pick Otani up off of waivers? Right. Because so, the Oakland A's, so the way waivers right. works is it is opposite of record. Yeah, right? and record I think flip. it's changed in terms of it used to be the other league gets priority. Yeah, I think that's changed, but let's just focus on the, the order at the bottom, right? Correct. So the Oakland A's are sure as shit not picking Otani up off of waivers. They, and they would him. truly go out of business if they had to pay no Otani for way. the first. <laughs> so Jordan, my question to you, Okay. Is in a couple months, every team in baseball is going to be trying to swoon Shohei Otani. However, every any team would take him. However, over the next two months, month and a half, are there any teams that oh, would not take is, him? Who's the first to take him? Oh, who would not take him or who would take Well, I'm just saying, like, who's the first team in the order that's like, yep, we'll take Shohei Colorado. Otani. Not even a question. I don't even think it would be about uh, convincing him to stay, but... Again, like the Rockies' attendance has at least started to suffer this year, and I don't know how many home games they have left, but like Colorado would do it so fast. I don't even you think, think so? that would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because other again, I'm, I got Tankathon up right. If we're going backwards, then we got White Sox, which would be really funny. <laughs> Cardinals is a very interesting one, right? Could the Cardinals way be seep into Otani's you know bloodstream? By the time he leaves at the end of September. Could you imagine Otani spending the final two months of the season, month and a half of the season, in St. Louis? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, damn. what They would be one of so, the most fun. That lineup would be unbelievable to watch. The reason that they're not doing it is because it's like they need to give Jordan Walker at bats. No, I know. I know. They can't be taken away from the youth. And I guess you could apply that to some of the other bad teams. But um, you're right about the Rockies. They're so detached. There's no reality. shot he's getting past the Rockies just absolutely okay. no way but that's a good that's a good uh hypothetical all right a couple more super quick hits before we say goodbye uh Jake the Mariners signed Luke Weaver do you know why I care about this no no you don't so as a someone who's been going to Reds games a lot I have watched a lot of Luke Weaver this season and what Luke Weaver has been this year for the Reds before they DFA'd him last week is I wish I had the specifics I was going to do this for Ugla at some point the worst first inning pitcher of all time. He had like a 15 ERA in the, you think Severino's bad. Luke Weaver was just shockingly awful in the first inning. And then like kind of okay after that, which is weird. He had this weird run where his ERA was 10 over like three months and the Reds won like every game because they kept coming back in games he was starting. He was getting historic run support. It was the most bizarre thing ever. But I love this move because the Mariners actually claimed Luke Weaver at the beginning of last offseason. And I was like, oh great, Jerry just wants another former first round pick. They'll put him in the bullpen. He'll be amazing. He ends up getting DFA'd, ends up on the Reds because they're the only team that wants to let him start. He starts for the Reds. He sucks for 30, you know, 21 starts. They DFA him. And now... I cannot wait for him to go into the Mariners' bullpen lab. They tell him, hey, just throw this pitch and you'll be great. He's great. And I can't wait for two weeks from now when the Mariners are in Cincinnati that Luke Weaver comes out of the bullpen in the seventh and stymies a bases-loaded uh, jam. It will be glorious. I'm so sure it is going to happen. As long as the Mariners don't use him as an opener in the first inning, <laughs> well, he'll be this, fine. But this is the other funny part is like, well, if he's sure you can move him to relief, but if the first inning is the problem, is he just going to come in and give up four home runs? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to find out. I, I have, there's no reason to doubt the, the Mariners pitching apparatus at this point. So excited about that one. The Giants signed Paul DeYoung after his three for 50 stint with the Blue Jays. Was he there in Philadelphia last night? No. No. Okay. 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 Hilarious. Did they announce it yet? The Giants? I believe so, but I, maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't made the official move yet. Because the Mariners announced Weaver, but maybe they haven't. I, it seems like the Giants are going to sign Paul DeYoung. I don't know if they've announced it. They, they are They are signing Paul DeYoung. Yeah. yeah. It was the type of situation where everyone was like, all right, hey, Gabe, are you Gabe Kapler? Are you going to sign Paul <laughs> DeYoung? And he was like, off the record, it's in motion. 
in motion. Um, yes. So I, Paul DeYoung, very weird season. I think people were surprised. Oh my God, the Blue Jays, they DFA Paul DeYoung. Like that was their trade guy. Remember, the Blue Jays had no intention of trading for Paul DeYoung before Bobachek got hurt. So it's like they, they were just kind of undoing. Bobachek got back like it was fine. They, David Schneider and Espinal are doing just fine. So that wasn't surprising. But hey, maybe the Giants can, can get DeYoung. It's weird though because the Young, like he's so streaky. I guess they're hoping that it's kind of like a J.D. Davis situation. Whatever J.D. Davis was doing, you're kind of hoping Paul DeYoung can find that. Um, yeah. But weird. Gabe uh, Kapler right, said something yeah. hilarious yesterday during the pregame press conference. So, hi, everybody. I'm in Philly right now oh, yeah. for the Philly's Giants good series. You, you were there for the walk-off last night. I was there for the walk-off last night. Um, I should probably tweet that I'm at baseball games more. Anyway, uh, Kapler said something freaking hilarious and interesting and bananas yesterday, and I'm going to use it as my ugly. So stay tuned for Friday. Okay, great. So we will get that on Friday. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you to Steven Nelson for talking to us about the Dodgers. And thank you to Chris Tyler for producing, as always. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-Cast. And uh, we'll be back. Well, this is a lot of news oh, for, for a Tuesday into a Wednesday show. So we'll see what we have for Friday. But until then, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll see if the Mariners keep winning and the Yankees keep losing. We'll talk to you on Friday. Serious XM Podcasts.